2007, October 1st, Lecture 9, Eclipses of the Sun and Moon. Well, last time we talked about the phases of the moon, the appearance of the moon as it goes through an orbit around the Earth, and of course the Earth-Moon system is orbiting around the Sun, so we go through one complete cycle of lunation, where we see the moon and the Sun on the same side of the sky at new moon, and then we go through the phases of crescent, first quarter, waning, waxing gibbous, full moon, waning gibbous, last quarter, sometimes called third quarter. Some of you have asked me about that. Waxing, waning crescent, and finally back to new moon. So a complete cycle of the lunar month. We now want to treat with a question which sort of comes up when you see the fact that during the various phases of the moons, particularly during new moon and full moon, it looks in our simple sketches like the Earth, Moon, and Sun are all lined up in a line. And the question is whether they can get in the way of each other, whether we can have an eclipse of the Sun or the Moon as seen from the Earth. These are some of the most spectacular astronomical phenomena that exist. Eclipses of the Moon are extremely cool to look at, so are eclipses of the Sun even more so. And they've been objects of wonder for a very, very long time. We know that people have certainly noted the presence of eclipses for a very long time. But it was the study of the eclipses and the ability to predict eclipses that turned out to be one of the real early achievements of primitive astronomy. Primitive meaning going back to sort of Babylonian early Greek times. It's one of the hallmarks of the development of actually a stable astronomical culture to accurately predict the eclipses. So today's key ideas is mostly going to be, today's mostly going to be phenomenology. We're going to be talking about the two types of eclipses. The first of these are the most common in, in terms of how often you can see them from a particular location on the Earth, is the lunar eclipses. This is when the moon is eclipsed by the Earth, when the moon passes into the shadow of the Earth. And there are three types of these eclipses that will meet a total eclipse, a partial eclipse, and a penumbral lunar eclipse. We'll then introduce the opposite side of the, of the configuration, solar eclipses. This is when the sun is eclipsed by the moon, when we can no longer see the sun because the moon is in our way, as viewed from the Earth. There are three types of solar eclipses, total eclipses, partial eclipses, and annular eclipses of the sun. So there's a little difference there between the nomenclature we use for the moon and for the sun, and for reasons which will become clear in a moment. And finally, the big question, of course, is how often do eclipses occur? We're going to define something called the eclipse year, which answers that question and gives some idea of why it is the cycle of eclipses was so difficult to predict and why it required some extra pieces of information to be put together. It's a very complex cycle. It requires a lot of mathematics to actually work out, or at least certainly a lot of numerical skill. And so being able to predict eclipses really went hand in hand with the development of arithmetic and numerical methods in all the cultures that began to attempt this. So let's first talk a bit about light and shadow. Eclipses are all about light and shadow. If I stand outside on a clear day and I carefully look up towards the sun, maybe with, of course, with filters, you never want to look at the sun with the naked eye. You ask, how big does the sun appear on the sky as you stand here on the earth? And the answer is you could just block the sun using your thumb held at arm's length and looking, of course, with just one eye. Of course, again, it's, don't ever look at the sun. It's really dangerous to do it. Put your eye out, kid. Um, but it's about a half a degree across. That's the same approximate diameter as the moon, as seen from the Earth. Not exact, but pretty close and approximate. Now, because the sun appears as a bright disk instead of a tiny little point of light, that means that shadows are going to be fuzzy-edged instead of sharp. 
So even if you look very carefully at shadows here on the Earth that are cast by the sun, or say by extended light, you'll notice that the edges of those shadows are not perfectly razor sharp. They've got a little fuzziness to them. That's going to be even more true, that fuzziness, when we actually look at the shadows cast by both the Earth and the moon. The result is that the shadows that are cast have a two-part structure. So if I'm standing at any given location here, I'm going to draw the sun and the Earth for simplicity, there's going to be a region where no matter where I look, inside this conical region trailing out behind the Earth, no line of sight that I look upon is going, to, is going to see the sun. The sun is always going to be behind the Earth. But if I step just a little bit outside that conical zone just behind the Earth, then part of my line of sight can see part of the sun, but other lines of sight are going to be blocked. So as I line myself up, I can imagine sort of as I move from side to side, if I'm way off to one side, like out here, the Earth isn't in my line of sight at all, and I have a separate Earth appearing in my sky and a separate Sun. But as I move closer and closer into alignment between these two, the Earth starts to block part of, and then pretty soon all of, the Sun. This leads to a two-part shadow. The deepest part of this shadow is the conical shadow that extends out beyond not just the Earth, but any spherical body you place up here in the heavens, or actually any irregular body for that matter called the umbra. It comes from the Latin word for shadow or shade. This is the deep core of inner darkness that occurs in the shadow behind the earth. Inside, this, this, inside the umbra, the sun is completely blocked from your view by the earth in front of you. This outer shadow beyond the cone of the umbra, making a cone that opens up behind the earth rather than a cone that closes behind it, kind of like a cosmic, the umbra is kind of like a cosmic dunce cap. It kind of just looks like it's a little bit of conical cap set up on the earth. Whereas the penumbra, the outer shadow, is an outer partial shadow. If you're in any one of these positions, the sun will be partially blocked by the earth, but not completely blocked until you move out of the shadow completely. So all bodies in the solar system, all bodies that are illuminated by a distant, finite size point disk-like source of light, that's not a point source, is going to have a two-part shadow, a deep inner core of shadow called the umbra, and a partial outer shadow called the penumbra. Now, what I cannot show here on the screen, because faint gradations in color just don't come across, is that while it's completely black inside the umbra, it's a general shading from black all the way out to complete light as I go from the inner part, from the boundary between the umbra and penumbra, all the way out. You'll notice, however, also that the umbra comes to a point here at the end. If I'm located out here beyond the point of the umbra, then the Earth's angular size is actually smaller than the Sun's angular size on the sky. As I move further away, objects appear to be smaller and smaller. So as I'm, a good way to see this is, is kind of hold your, your thumb close up to your face and kind of blot out my face with it or blot out some part of the screen with it. Hold it up really close to your face, like just right past your nose. And now move your thumb outwards, and you'll eventually reach the point where you can only partially block my face, or maybe partially block the sun up there. Maybe block that sun on the screen and slowly move it out. You can also get an idea of the, penumbral the umbral and penumbral shadow by just moving your head slightly one way or another. And you can see as you move slightly to one side, you slowly un uncover that cartoon of the sun there. That's the idea. So let's now look at the two ways in which I can set up 
these eclipse shadows, where I can set up a lineup between the sun, earth, and moon in some combination. We'll start with the simplest of these, the lunar eclipses. A lunar eclipse occurs when the sun passes through the shadow of the earth. <coughs> now this only occurs, not surprisingly, at full moon because you need to have a configuration where the earth is between the moon and the sun. And that only occurs, as we saw last Friday, during full moon phase. So you'll never get an eclipse of the sun at any other phase but full moon. Now, if you do the geometry, the sun is a gigantic ball of, of incandescent gas. It's got a, a diameter of about 1.4 million kilometers, and it's about 150 million kilometers away. The Earth is around 13,000 kilometers in diameter. And so when you work all the numbers through, what you find is that at the distance of the, uh, for an object the size of the Earth, at the distance of 150 million kilometers from our Sun, the Earth's umbra is about 1.4 million miles, million kilometers long. Oops, oops just slipped up use a little It's 1.4 million kilometers from the center of the Earth out to the very tip of that long conical umbra. Now, this 1.4 million kilometers is important. It's a, it's a little under four times larger than the mean Earth-Moon distance. Furthermore, if I go out to, three point, out to the mean Earth-Moon distance, the umbra, which is a shrinking cone, is 9,000 kilometers across at the, at the mean distance of the Moon. Since the Moon is only a little, under, a little over 3,000 kilometers in diameter, this is 2.6 times larger than the moon's diameter. So that means the moon can become completely immersed within the umbral shadow of the Earth. Okay, so the, the, because the moon is, closer, is close to the Earth, closer to the Earth than the tip of the umbra, and because the umbra at the distance of the, of the moon is larger than the moon's diameter, then, of course, quite naturally, the whole moon can fit inside the umbra all at once. It can become completely immersed. Now, it turns out that for the Earth, the umbra, which is supposed to be the point of total darkness, is in fact not totally dark. And the reason it's not totally dark is that the Earth, as you are well aware, has an atmosphere. That atmosphere refracts light around it. So you've all seen the effect, for example, of as the sun begins to set down low in the horizon, it begins to get kind of a ruddy red color. You can actually see the sun after it's got below the horizon because of these refraction effects. It's the same effect of causing refraction in air is the same reason why if you put, say, a fork or a knife into a glass of water, a clear glass of water, it appears to be bent because the light rays coming up through the water and then into the air bend themselves. So this effect of refraction means that sunlight actually kind of bends around the Earth a bit, but because blue light is preferentially scattered in all directions and red light is passed through, red light kind of gets out into the umbra. And so when the moon gets immersed into the umbra, it actually takes on a ruddy red glow. It doesn't actually go completely black. All right, so that's what the umbra is big enough to immerse the moon. So the question is, can the moon actually get immersed all the way in the umbra? There are three types of lunar eclipses. A total lunar eclipse occurs when the entire moon is within the Earth's umbra, when it gets completely immersed within that shadow. It can spend as long as one hour and 40 minutes in the umbra, and the whole show, from first contact with the shadow, the outer shadow of the Earth, to the end of the shadow, is about six hours. 
So you can, so if you're standing here on the Earth, you're watching a total eclipse of the moon, the whole thing can last as long as one hour and 40 minutes. That longest part is if it exactly goes right through the smack in the middle of the umbra. Now, of course, it might go a little bit above or below that middle. And of course, since you're cutting over a smaller section of the circle, it will last a shorter time. A partial lunar eclipse occurs when the moon is either above or below the umbral shadow and misses part of it. So only part of the moon actually falls behind the umbra. In that case, we say we have, not surprisingly, a partial lunar eclipse. And finally, there's a type of eclipse called a penumbral eclipse. This part shadow that lies between the umbra and the place where you see the complete disk of the sun behind the Earth is also big enough to completely immerse the moon. And so if the moon misses the umbra entirely, but stays, it can be completely within the penumbra, and we can have something called a penumbral eclipse. So that's the moon simply passing through the penumbral shadow. In those cases, the, the dimming of the moon is actually a lot more subtle. You actually have to sort of pay attention to what's going on. In general, total lunar eclipse and partial lunar eclipses are really obvious to the eye when you see them. Penumbral eclipses tend to be a lot more subtle because you have to kind of have some memory of, gee, that full moon doesn't look quite as dark as it normally does. You might be seeing, in fact, a penumbral eclipse of the moon. Not surprisingly, because the penumbra is a whole lot bigger than the umbra, penumbral eclipses actually are more common than total lunar eclipses, as we'll see. So here's a, here's a side sketch. So now we're looking at the side there, kind of looking at the Earth's equator here. And I've exaggerated the scale. Sunlight's falling off to one side. We have the Earth. Here's the completely uneclipsed moon. It simply misses both the umbral and penumbral shadows. A total lunar eclipse has the moon completely immersed in the umbra. A partial lunar eclipse has the moon only part of the way into the umbral shadow and part out into the penumbra. So I will see a bite taken out of the moon by the Earth's shadow. And then the penumbral eclipse occurs when the moon is in the penumbra but misses the umbra completely and sees only the partially illuminated sun. Now, I've drawn this picture here sort of because I can do it and also because it gives a rough sense of scale. I've cheated the size of the cone a little bit in the projection so that the moon is in fact about one-third the width of the penumbra, width of the umbra, excuse me, at that point. David, give me a hand here, sir. Let me give you an idea of what the real geometry of this looks like. I have two styrofoam balls. The big one obviously represents the Earth. The smaller represents the moon. These are in their right proportions to each other. The moon is approximately a quarter the size of the Earth in diameter. The string between them, remember from last time, that the moon lies, which hold the thing up, hold the moon up so you can see it. This, hold it this way. That's right. The moon is on average 60 Earth diameters away. So I've, this is a, a six-inch um, six ball here, so I've got 30 feet of roughly, hold it so it goes taut, thank you. Now you stand still. Okay. Thank you, David. So you get some idea of just how big the shadow is that trails out behind the, the moon. The shadow behind, trails behind the Earth. The sun would be off that direction, which at this scale is, uh, I should have done the math before I came in here, at 40 times the Earth-moon distance. So it's way down the street in that direction. And the shadow of the Earth would in fact, its tip, would still be extending into that far wall across this classroom. So it's a very, very long shadow. 
Now, you can also see that there's an awful, that whenever I'm at any position here on the Earth, no matter where I am on the Earth, I can always see the moon. So when the moon is in this total eclipse configuration, stand still. Thank you. I've got to pull this taut a little bit. When the moon is in this total eclipse configuration, anywhere I am here on the nighttime side of the Earth, I will see, that, see the moon going into eclipse. So it's visible from the entire nighttime hemisphere. Now, you can imagine when we turn around the problem, and I come around, sun's off to, off to our left here. I'm, I'm following the, the orientation of the picture up there. Now you see the problem of how is this, the Earth going to impact, going to encounter the shadow of the moon? You can imagine just from seeing this that there's only going to be a little tiny shadow. The Earth is much, much bigger than the cone of shadow behind the moon because the Earth is a whole lot bigger than the moon. Thanks, David. That's great. So here are some pictures of a lunar eclipse. So again, that picture I drew before was just to set an idea of the geometry, but the actual scale is almost undrawable to actually be visible on the screen. Here's a total eclipse of the moon. This is a, a series of photographs taken from a total eclipse that occurred on the 28th of October, 2004. This shows the total lunar eclipse. In fact, it's just a little piece of the penumbra is still there. It's just before total. And you can see the sort of ruddy, almost blood red color that you get because of scattering of moonlight. Here's a time-lapsed photograph showing just beginning to enter the umbra and then, of course, full immersion in the umbra. You have to take a longer exposure. The moon really does go dark, but the moon's got such a huge range of brightness in the shadow and the Earth's eyes are sufficiently uh, sensitive, you can actually see it when it gets ruddy. It's really cool if you've ever seen a total lunar eclipse. Some, all of you have probably seen one at one point. There's one coming up in February. Let's hope our weather's good for it. What's really cool about total eclipses of the moon is the moon gets dim enough you can see the background stars. So it was during, for example, a, when I was a kid, a total lunar eclipse that occurred in August that was in, I was out in the Mojave Desert where I grew up in the beautiful velvet black skies and the stars was the very first time I saw the moon as a three-dimensional object in space because it really did look like a ruddy red ball with the background of stars against a velvet black sky. Normally during a full moon, the sky is so bright because the moon is so bright, you don't see the stars until you get many, many degrees away. And it just sort of looks like someone's pasted a big white light up on the sky. So lunar eclipses are really cool from the sense they really do give you this impression of, oh yeah, that's a near neighbor in space. It's actually a world, a sphere hanging up there. And here's, of course, a look at a partial lunar eclipse. They are actually reasonably dramatic. You can tell them, but they're not as cool as a total lunar eclipse. Here's a movie showing uh, a 2000 uh, January total lunar eclipse. Uh, there is this guy, www.mr.eclipse.com. It's Fred Espinak. He's got one of the best eclipse sites on the web. He's a, he's a real fanatic about this stuff, and he's really got a great site for giving information about eclipses. And, of course, the exposure gets longer to show that deep, ruddy shadow. Okay. So let me uh, switch gears here for just a second. Let's do a quick check here. Here's a question for you to think about. Total lunar eclipse will occur tomorrow, and I've just made up a time. It's going to last four hours of totality. Now, that's, that's a really super long eclipse. An hour and 40 minutes is actually the max. Mid-eclipse is going to occur an hour after sunset from Columbus. So the question is, how much of totality would you be able to see if you walked outside on a clear night when this eclipse occurred, would you see four hours of totality? 
none of totality, five hours of totality, three hours of totality, or it depends on the lunar phase. So slam in your answer, A, B, C, D, or E. Think about it for a second. Maybe chat it up with your neighbors when you get an idea of what you think it is. make this a quickie. I think that's enough time to discuss it. Let's get ready to lock in your answers there. 15 seconds. Okay, time's up. I hope everyone was able to get their answers in a couple clicked in there. I think I'm going to bump that up to about 20, 25 seconds. I'm still tuning that one up. How many of you said it's A? You see all four hours of totality. B, you see none of the totality. C, you see five hours of totality. Yeah, I had to throw a foolish one in. It's D, three hours of totality. And E, it depends on the lunar phase. Okay. You're not going to see... F what, what moon phase does the moon have to be in to be right at the middle of a total lunar eclipse? Full. What time does the full moon rise, as seen from a location on the Earth? Right at sunset. So if mid-eclipse is occurring an hour after sunset, and the, the eclipse in this case lasts four hours in my mythical moon eclipse, that means the eclipse started two hours before mid-eclipse, or an hour before sunset. Well, you can't see the moon an hour before sunset. But since it's full moon, that means you will see it for at least, the, the eclipse will be in progress for an hour as it rises, and you will essentially see three hours of totality. It can't be five because it only lasts four, and it doesn't, does depend on the lunar phase, but the fact that it's a total lunar eclipse already tells you it's full moon. If it's any other phase, it's not going to be an eclipse. Good. That was very good. That's a good job. All right. Solar eclipses, let's turn the problem around. This is the lunar eclipse was when the moon got behind the shadow of the Earth. But of course, there's another phase where the moon, Earth, and sun are lined up. New moon. Is there a time when you can actually see the moon get in the way of the sun as seen from the Earth? So a, total sol a solar eclipse of any kind is when the Earth passes through the shadow of the moon. Because the moon has to be between the Earth and the sun, this only occurs exactly at new moon phase. Not a little bit before, not a little bit after, but right smack in the middle of new moon phase. Now, the moon is a smaller body. It's only about a little over uh, uh, 3,000 kilometers in diameter. And so as a consequence, the umbra is going to be pretty short. In fact, the umbra is about 380 kilometers long. This is just long enough to traverse the mean Earth-Moon distance, but only just. So the tip of that shadow just barely touches the Earth, but the Earth is much bigger than the umbra at all locations, not surprisingly because the Earth is bigger than the Moon, and therefore 
the earth will never ever get completely immersed within the shadow. We'll only get a little piece of the shadow go sweeping across a little arc of the surface of the earth. So what this means is unlike the case for lunar eclipses where anybody who is on the nighttime side of the earth during the couple hours during a lunar eclipse will see that eclipse. But a, person, a solar eclipse can only be seen where the shadow passes directly overhead. And because that shadow is only measured in tens or hundreds of kilometers across, you've got to be in a very, very particular location at a very particular time or you see absolutely nothing. So big difference between lunar eclipses and solar eclipses. Everyone can see the lunar eclipse if, it's, if it happens when it's nighttime in your location. But if a solar eclipse occurs while you're on the sunlit side, you only see it if you're exactly under the shadow. Okay, so here again, I've, I've exaggerated the scale. Here's the moon off to the, sun's off to the left, the moon casting its long umbral shadow, and the earth, of course, is much smaller than umbra. Again, I've exaggerated the scale so you can see it here. The umbra is the core, the penumbra is the outer portion of partial shadow. So I get a dark spot, which is the shadow of the moon, and outside that dark spot, it shades from darkness out to final light. If I'm in this outer disk around, if I'm in the central disk of dark, complete darkness, the moon completely covers the face of the sun and I get a total eclipse. If I'm out in this region of partial shade, I only get partial coverage and I get a partial eclipse of the sun. Here's what that shadow actually looks like. This is a, a beautiful photograph taken from the Russian Mir space station of an eclipse, solar eclipse that occurred on, in 1999, August 11. And it shows you the size of that moon shadow you can see it's a very fuzzy edge shadow because the sun is a gigantic disk and you've got a big penumbra. But compare that to the size of the Earth. The shadow of the moon on the Earth is really a whole lot smaller than the size of the Earth itself. So if you're up here or out here away from that point of shadow, you never see the moon cross through the sky at all. You've got to be right smack in that small circle of darkness to see the moon completely cover the face of the sun. Now, there are three types of solar eclipses that can occur. One of those is called a partial solar eclipse. This is where you are somewhere in the moon's fairly large penumbra, but you're outside the zone of total shadow in the very center. In this case, you see the sun only covering part of the moon. So you get sort of like, looks like a big dark bite has been taken out of the sun, called a partial solar eclipse. A total solar eclipse is when you happen to be lucky enough to be standing right in the path of that moving core of ultra-dark shadow. In that case, the moon completely covers the face of the sun and you are plunged into darkness during the moments that that shadow is passing over you. The stars come out, the birds decide to go to sleep, all the chickens tuck their head under their arm. It's, it's great. The moon is completely covering the sun, but you have to be exactly in that shadow. Finally, there's an annular eclipse. Remember, the moon is on an elliptical orbit. Sometimes it's as far as about 400 and some odd kilometers, 1,000 kilometers away from you. Sometimes it's closer. So if new moon occurs when this moon is at apogee, the furthest distance it gets from the Earth, the distance between the Earth and the moon is actually larger, to the, to the, including the surface of the Earth, is larger than the length of the umbral shadow. So the cone of darkness actually ends far above your head. That means you can always see the, the sun, moon is actually smaller than the sun as it appears in the sky, in angular size, and so you see a bright ring of sunlight when the moon is exactly centered over the sun. Ring in Latin is an annulus, and so they're called an annular eclipse. 
Be careful with this language because annular sounds a lot like annual. It's the same rate, except annual refers to the circle of the seasons, not the circle of a ring. So an annular eclipse is not one that happens every year. It's one that happens when the moon happens to be fairly close to perigee, close to its furthest distance from the Earth, and, is in, and as a consequence appears that 11% smaller than it does at perigee, and so is not big enough to fully cover the disk of the sun as seen from the surface of the Earth. Another way of looking at that is that the tip of the umbral shadow does not touch the Earth. It's above the Earth's atmosphere. So here are some nice pictures. This is a beautiful picture of a partial solar eclipse. This photograph was taken from Grimbergen in Belgium, and it shows the moon. And you can see it's got a rough edge to it. That's because of the mountains on the moon actually give it a rough edge. And, of course, the disk of the sun. You're also seeing a little bit of atmospheric turbulence here that's breaking up the edge of the disk of the sun. So you get this sort of crescent-shaped sun as the moon goes across, and it illustrates very nicely that the angular size of the moon and the angular size of the sun are approximately the same. This was close to, but still well outside of, the area of partial shadow, but uh, full shadow, but well inside the umbra. As you get further and further away from the core of shadow, the moon gets, eats less and less into it until finally it misses the moon. I'm sorry, the moon misses the sun altogether and you don't see squat. Here's a total solar eclipse. This is a beautiful, again, another picture from Mr. Eclipse. Uh, Fred Espinak took this series of photographs of the total eclipse of the sun from 2001, June 21st. You can see the moon beginning to actually cover the sun, finally complete coverage of the sun, and now the very, very faint corona, the glowing outer atmosphere of the sun becomes visible, and eventually the moon continues moving off towards the left in this picture and eventually uncovers the sun. Total solar eclipses are really spectacular. I've never, ever been lucky enough to actually see one. Here's a time-lapse photograph of a 1994 eclipse of the sun. It's playing a constant loop here. So you can see what it looks like. They're really quite spectacular when they happen. Um, it's no wonder that when total eclipses of the sun went off, certainly among ancient cultures, it really freaked people out. And, you know, it still freaks people out. Although nowadays everyone says, oh, my God, you look at the sun, you're, you're going to go blind. Yeah, okay, you're right. So use proper protective glasses. It's a real crime. Actually, remember, there was a total solar eclipse of the sun in 1979. And I only got to see partial from where I was living in California. But up north in, in Oregon and, and Washington, there were actually, it was, it was a fairly big track that went across uh, Washington and Oregon. And it was going to be total in that path. It was a beautiful day. And people were, were sending out special eclipse glasses to schools. There were actually school teachers who kept their children in the room and pulled the drapes for fear the children would go blind by looking at it. Apparently, they're more afraid of lawyers than they are of actually letting the kids learn something. Annular eclipse, here's a picture of that annular eclipse. The tip is now here on the uh, outside the Earth. And if we just extend the line outward, this shows you the very, very small zone that you have to be inside of. It's called the antumbra in order for you to see the annular eclipse. So if you're standing out here in the penumbra, you would never see it as an annular eclipse. You just see it as a, par as a partial solar eclipse. You have to be standing exactly in this tiny region here called the antumbra to actually see um, an annular eclipse. Here's a picture of an annular eclipse. This is a photograph of one taken. It shows you with the moon very far away at the outer edges of its orbit, it actually is too small to completely cover the disk of the sun. And here this photograph was taken just before the center of, of totality in the annular eclipse, so it's making sort of an almost closed crescent upon itself. And finally, here's a photograph. This is from the 1994 May 10th solar eclipse. 
Hmm, you guys are getting, let's see, we're getting kind of along in time here. This was a while ago. This was seven, 13 years ago. How many of you from northern Ohio saw this eclipse? This just passed over Toledo and, and all those places up north. Yeah, I really envy you guys. I, I was down here on campus teaching Astronomy 162. I couldn't go on the road trip up north. I had a test that day. What a dope I was to schedule a test on, a, on the only annular eclipse visible from Ohio probably in my lifetime. And that brings up an interesting point. These total solar eclipses are extremely localized and extremely short because the shadow is sweeping across the Earth really fast. The moon's umbra is at most about 267 kilometers wide at the surface of the Earth. That would be when you had a total solar eclipse exactly at the point of perigee, when the moon is as close as it ever gets to the Earth. As a concept, however, because this thing is sweeping really fast across you, totality is only going to last about seven and a half minutes. Compare that to the hour and 40 minutes of total immersion that the lunar eclipse goes through. So not only do you have to be in the right place, you've got to be in that right place for at least seven and a half minutes, and some of them only last a minute. So you go to a tremendous amount of effort to get to this place, and you've only got a couple minutes for the show. And you better hope the weather is good. Because if you're in the umbra, you're going to see the total eclipse. You get the big show. And the penumbra, if you miss it, if you're travel guide or whoever's taking you to the remote part of Africa or Asia, wherever it is you've got to go to see these silly things, misses it, you're screwed. You've just spent all that money and time and effort to rush to a place and you get a partial eclipse. Everybody else on the planet sees nothing. So there can be a spectacular total eclipse going off not very far from you and you don't see squat. A good remembrance I have is um, my, my wife, back bef before we were married, wasn't teaching a quarter. She's also a professor in the astronomy department at Ohio State. And she wasn't teaching a quarter when there was going to be a February total eclipse of the sun in the Caribbean. Her mom, who had just retired, decided she wanted to see a total solar eclipse. So she paid for Barbara and herself to go on an eclipse cruise in the Caribbean. We were up here. I was teaching 162. It was snowing. Not only were we outside the penumbra, so we couldn't even get a little bit of an eclipse, it was snowing. While they were down there, perfectly clear tropical weather, sipping rum-based drinks and watching the solar eclipse from the surface of sailship. I still married her. She's, she's a good person. Um, I've never seen a total solar eclipse. I, it's a terrible tragedy. I've, ne I've never had the opportunity. I've got friends who, who fly all over the world for them. Here's a solar eclipse that occurred, for example, in 2001, June 21st. This shows you the degree to which you've got to get your act together to go see one of these. You can't just go, oh, yeah, there's an eclipse tomorrow. Yeah, I'll do it. Let's go check it out. Uh, yeah, like you're going to find a flight to the middle of Mozambique tomorrow. Not unless get there. So this is an eclipse from June of 2001. This the, the, the red bar here shows you the path of totality. Most of it's over the ocean. Well, yeah, most of the Earth is ocean. So maybe you'll be lucky to be in a cruise ship out here in the middle of Atlantic, but you've got to get that cruise ship at exactly the right spot. Not normally happening. Off Hawaii or the Caribbean it can happen, but not out in the open ocean often. Across the section of Africa here, it was a spectacular eclipse, and a little bit across the island of Madagascar. And the folks in Brazil, in, uh, down here in Argentina mm, just missed it. This outer yellow line is the region of partial eclipse. So most of the continent of Africa saw a partial eclipse Arabia, Europe, North America, and big chunks of South America didn't see squat. And, of course, Australia, forget about it. So you've really got to be in exactly the right spot. And, of course, the, the, the shadow, I should point out, sweeps from east towards west. 
very, very rapidly. So you've got to be in exactly the right spot. I've got, I got friends of mine who, who, who chase these things. They've been to Siberia, Africa. They've been to some really cool places. Some of them, I remember, one person, a friend of mine, spent about $3,500, all the permits to go to some really god-awful, out in the middle of Mongolia. I mean, Mongolia is like communist China. And this is back in the, in the 80s when they, they liked us even less. So it was really hard to travel into Mongolia. And she got there. And it rained. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to be made of really tough stuff. She still does it, though. You've got to be made of really tough stuff to be an eclipse chaser. Someday, someday I'm going to go get to see an eclipse. Yes, sir? Is there anything special that happens since that's the solstice? Was that the solstice? You're right. That is pretty darn close to the solstice, isn't it? No, that just happens to be the solstice. Cool. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, it just happens, right? You never know when it, you know, equinoxes and solstices are usually kind of special days. Um, but that an eclipse occurs on that, cool. In fact, I'm not even sure that was, in fact, the solstice. It could have been the 20th or the 22nd because the solstice rattles around by a couple days because the year is not exactly 365 days. Yeah, uh, solstices and equinoxes are rarely, if ever, really special days. Although one, one equinox is, one summer solstice is, is, is very special to me. It turns out that when Barbara and I got married in 2003, uh, we looked for the first Saturday after classes were out so we could get the faculty club and probably find hotels because they wouldn't be all packed with people coming from graduation. And it turned out to be Saturday, June 21st. And we looked at each other and went, no! Yeah, so we got married on the solstice. It was cool. But that was totally by accident. It was going to be a Saturday, you know. It's just, okay, anyway. So why are eclipses so rare? Why is it I'm a professional astronomer, I've had this deep desire to see an eclipse and I've never been able to make it? And the reason is because if the moon's orbit was... A, exactly in the ecliptic. There'd be a solar eclipse every single new moon and a lunar eclipse every single, sol every single full moon. But the m orbit is tilted by five degrees. That means because of this five degree tilt, you completely miss the shadow most of the time when the moon is going through new moon and full moon. It's only when the tilted orbit of the moon and the orbit of the Earth are exactly lined up the so-called line of nodes, that's the intersection between the orbital plane of the moon and the orbital plane of the Earth, when those are lined up, you get an eclipse. And remember, it's only half, the sun's only half a degree across, and the moon goes plus or minus five degrees. So not only do you have to be aligned, you have to be within five degrees, and it also has to be full of new moon. So you've got to have three things line up. And this is why eclipses don't happen very often. Here's the geometry. Here's a time when there's new moon and full moon, and you've got the full tilt against the plane of the ecliptic here. The shadows just completely miss. And I've actually drawn this approximately to scale, though I've drawn the Earth and the moon bigger so you can see them. And, of course, the size is smaller. But if they're exactly lined up, so this plane of intersection exactly lines up, this plane of intersection is called the line of nodes, then I get a solar eclipse at new moon, and because the Earth does not move all that much over the course of the next two weeks, either two weeks before or two weeks after the solar eclipse, depending on which way the, the, the numbers break, you will get a lunar eclipse. So lunar and solar eclipses tend to come in pairs a couple of weeks apart, or sometimes not if things are not lined up perfectly, but only when you line up on the line of nodes. So that's the picture to get in your head. This line of nodes lines up with the sun only every 346 and a half years. 
days, so it's called the eclipse year, but you also have to be at new or full phase when they occur. So from every given location, you only get a lunar eclipse every three years because you can see it from the full nighttime hemisphere. You only get a solar eclipse from any given location every three and a half centuries. So here's a quick table of the upcoming eclipses. Solar eclipse, a lunar eclipse, total lunar eclipse visible from Ohio will be on February 21st. Set your calendars for it. The next total solar eclipse is going to be in August, visible from Greenland, Siberia, Mongolia, and China. Book your tickets now. The next total solar eclipse in Ohio is going to be 2024. The next one visible from Columbus proper will be 2099. So maybe plan on that one. I don't, I'm not going to make that one. But uh, 2024, you just mind me. See you all tomorrow.